The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to November's Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we discuss an AV Forums event which was held recently at JVC House, looking at anamorphic projection. We speak to Andrew Poulin from THX and discuss commercial cinema and how industry standards can be successfully used in the home environment. Plus, we'll introduce you to a new member of the AV Forums Hardware Review Team. And as always, I'm joined by our home cinema pundits. Uh, this month, we have Graham Goodburn. Hi, Graham. Hi, Phil. Nice to be here again. And also on the line, and not on the phone this time, because he's got a new headset, and it sounds absolutely spiffing, it's Neil Davidson. Hi, Neil. Hi, Phil. So, uh, guys, we're here again for November's podcast, and uh, quite a few things have happened since we were on air last time. One of them was an event which you hosted, Neil, at JVC House, um, to get four members along and let them see anamorphic projection amongst other things so um what made you come up with the idea to invite forum members along and and did you get the kind of uh, feedback that you were expecting well phil um these events are something that we do for uh, the actual trade dealers who we work with people may be surprised but even those in the trade need to learn and need to experience new things um, and actually as part of discussions that we were having the idea was there that it might be interesting for some of the forum members um, to come along and experience some of these systems. Um, people can see the videos actually on avforums.tv. Um, these systems are really not what you would find in the, the average Seven Oaks or something like that on the high street. And the idea really was to just let the guys experience something different um, and see if that would generate any interest in discussion on the forums. And of course we were looking at two very different systems there, weren't we, Neil? Uh, one was what you could probably call uh, a mid-range and, and the other a very high-end. Yeah, the two systems, f- for us, uh, the first system is our entry-level system, really cracking sound, cracking picture, but on a smaller scale. Um, and then we had one of our, our larger systems, and again, by no means the largest that we do, uh, really designed to show what can be achievable for a lot of people, and then just to blow it out of the park, this is the best experience ever type of a system. Now, Graham, uh, there's a lot of discussion about anamorphic projection on the forums. Um, do you think that you managed to get across the positives of the uh, technology? Yeah, I think everybody that attended was um, fully sold on the idea. And uh, a lot of people came with the impression that it was always going to be very expensive to do because they'd heard about this, that and the other. But well, I think they all went away pleasantly surprised that you could do it on a more than reasonable budget, far less than any of them thought possible, and it gave a cracking picture, and as Neil said, sound to match. So Neil, obviously with these systems and the video online, so people can go and have a look at the actual systems that were shown on the day and the technology behind them, it's raised quite a bit of conversation on the forums um, with lots of different ideas about different approaches, not just constant image height. So what's your feelings on on what's been raised in the forum so far? Well, first of all, it was excellent to see um, the the thread that you're referring to on the forum. And anyone who's interested in projection, I think, would learn a lot by having a look at that thread. Um, There were many different points of view. And after all, that's the purpose of a forum is to have a discussion of different points of view. Um, I think there are those of us who... Um, have experienced one way which works particularly well in the applications that we use Um, and there were some alternative ideas of another way which seems to work very well for other people Um, and it was an excellent learning experience to be involved in that thread. And I guess uh, certainly what I take away from the thread, I don't know about you guys, is that um, there is no right answer at the end of the day. You can follow standards and do it one way or you can go off and do it another way and as long as you're happy with it then so be it is would would i be right in that assumption well i took two things myself from the thread Uh, first of all absolutely that you're correct phil that there is no right way that will work for everybody um the second thing that i took away is the 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 real difference between absolutely in-depth uh enthusiasts 
um, and people who just want to have the ultimate experience in their home, which are the, the clients who we have. Um, and it was very, very interesting to me to see the difference between them and how little perhaps that we can offer to those people who who want to do it in their own particular way. Um, for, for me, that was very, very interesting because it, it highlighted really a, a polar opposite ends of the spectrum for, for people who are buying these sort of systems. Um, so yeah, fascinating for me to see that in action. Now, Graham, I've always been a, a big fan of constant image hype because, uh, well, certainly the way that I look at it, 185 to 1, uh, which is flat, is, is about 7 foot in my setup at the moment. And if I was going to add 235, we're looking at a 10 foot wide image, which seems ideal to me as, as the, the approach which we, we see in, in most uh, commercial cinemas out there, although I will point out not all commercial cinemas. Is that an approach which you think works better over others or do you think um, diff- different approaches have, have their plus points and their negative points? It's a very interesting question, Phil, and Neil touched on it um, quite nicely. Uh, there are more than one way of doing it. Uh, I personally would agree with you that a constant image height system that simply gets wider and more immersive as you watch actually watch the movies is uh, in my opinion the right thing to do because it's what your mind automatically wants to see Uh, like you say almost all cinemas give or take a few do this and have done it for considerable length of time and it becomes a truly immersive experience Um, doing it other ways um, it may be cheaper it may be a very enthusiastic an enthusiast-led method of doing it. But um, in the installs that we get involved in, the client just wants to press the bloody play button and everything else wants to be seamless. And it's seriously cool to watch a screen open up and then you know, you're watching a 16 by 9 image or a 185 to 1 image and then all of a sudden it goes all the way out to 2.35 or 2.4 in Blu-rays and that's what the client wants. Um, I've got no objection to giving it to them because I personally feel that's the right way to do it myself. And Neil, there was a lot of interesting um, comments going back to how the director intends it to be seen and, and, and things like that. What did you pick up from, from that angle of the argument in this thread, which was the constant area thread that we're talking about here? Um, is it a case that people want to be more immersed with with different aspect ratios over the the constant image uh, approach? Well, the one thing that I certainly picked up on is that we all interpret um, the art form of cinema in very, very different ways. Um, For for me, it was very interesting to note the difference, uh, and this is something that I noted in the thread, the difference between, um, shall we say, more creative people um, and the way that they view. So we we had a number of people who came from a, a film or film studies background um, and then you had the, the more technical of us. Um, and it was very interesting to, to understand the differences. Now, what it all came down to really was a discussion of standards in, in many ways. Um, and one of the things that I always find interesting um, is, is the impact of standards, um, both at the creation stage and at the presentation stage. Now, Graham and I uh, visited a well-known studio, Phil, which you've been to also um, last year to perform a calibration on behalf of one of the consumer electronics companies. Um, And whilst we were there, we were told not to touch uh, the the reference LCD display because the colorist had set it up just the way he liked it. And, of course, that (laughs) begged the question, how the hell are any of the rest of us going to enjoy the colours um, in the way that the colourist in that particular instance wanted it to be seen. Um, and that led to a very, very, very interesting discussion uh, once we had calibrated the projector. And in many ways it was it was a bit of a revelation for those guys to see that there was a, a reference standard that they could follow and that there was a fighting chance that their content, which they had assumed would be um, all blown out and terrible on a consumer display that there was in fact a chance that it would be viewed the way that they intended it to be. Now I I sometimes wonder uh, if there needs to be more discussion about standards 
um, in the content creation side as well as in the playback side. Um, but I think that the best that we can do as, as consumers um, is to do our best to follow the standards and, and hope that the content creators can follow them as well. So Neil, I guess that leads us on um, to a company that's been out there for some time, THX, and their approach to both commercial cinema and home cinema. And it's one of the, the, the few uh, bodies out there who actually publish standards to guide people through uh, setting up a home cinema or uh, projecting uh, images and sound within a commercial theatre. So recently we spoke to Andrew Pooling, who is the uh, certification manager for THX, and this is what he had to say. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening to the AV Forums podcast. And joining us on the phone from San Francisco is Andrew Poulin from THX. Uh, good afternoon, Andrew. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Now, Andrew, we want to talk uh, about a couple of things regarding specifications when it comes to uh, not only commercial theatres, but home cinemas and what our listeners can do uh, to improve their home systems. Uh, now, THX are world-renowned for their standards of high-quality cinema playback in commercial theatres. So how did that whole certification programme come about? Well, if you go back to the beginning of THX, you know, it was around 1982, and what George Lucas and Lucasfilm was doing was developing specifications and standards for their production facilities. And so they went through a long period of research and development for how to build out the rooms. And simultaneously, if you kind of look at the state of affairs in the cinema industry uh, back at that time, uh, the quality level was rather poor and kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of Lucas, but really what happened at the time was he was spending a lot of money uh, producing his films and the experience that moviegoers were getting wasn't equitable to what they were seeing in the production facilities. And they took this knowledge base about how to build cinemas and specifications and requirements and really put that out um, to develop a company where they could raise the bar for presentation and motion picture cinemas. You know, really the ultimate goal at the time was to create a program where they could realize that there would be a direct translation of content from the production facility into the commercial cinemas throughout the world. And so what we wound up with is the first THX certified commercial theaters being certified in 1983, just before the release of Return of the Jedi. Um, so Andrew, um, that explains how the program came about. So how did THX come up with their cinema standards and what processes are involved in putting them together? Like I said before, as, as Lucasfilm was developing their specifications for their production facilities. They spent a lot of time reviewing kind of the relevant industry specifications for motion picture production and playback, and also taking a broader approach and looking at the cinema as a system, meaning that everything is kind of interrelated with each other. So spent a lot of time looking at how room geometry affects what you could do with picture size, what you need to do in terms of seating locations in the room. And then looking at more specific items as an example is how do you promote good dialogue intelligibility, what the performance requirements need to be for loudspeakers and room acoustics, and then also looking at other things as well in terms of viewing angles and uh, projection distortion. Uh, quality factors such as uh, screen luminance and uh, picture quality for, at that time, 35mm and 70mm film. Really what you wound up with is the company doing just a lot of research on these studies and specifications and then looking at a method for how to implement those in a cinema and then kind of creating this uh, technical specification. So as an example, determining what appropriate reverberation times could be in an auditorium was an important factor because the room acoustics have a tremendous impact on the sound quality in the room. Looking at things like room decor and how uh, colors on sidewalls and ceilings affect image quality, such as contrast and things to that effect. Now, a lot of our um, listeners are, are very intrigued as to um, 
what these standards actually equate to, and and one of those is is viewing distances and viewing angles. So, what is THX's recommendation for uh, seating distances and viewing angles? Sure. Well, we always kind of take the broader approach of looking at the system as a whole, like I said before, and looking at the room geometry and what the appropriate image size is going to be. So what you typically wind up with is a screen at the front of the room that occupies about 80 to 90% of the room width. And then what you have to look at in terms of what's the appropriate length for the auditorium. Uh, If the auditorium was too long, viewers in the back would have a very narrow horizontal viewing angle, and that has an impact on both picture and sound but at the benefit of having a slightly sharper visible image, as opposed to if you have a a room that is too short and the horizontal viewing angle is uh, too big, then you have an impact on the the clarity of the image and the sound system as well. So when we look at the system as a whole, what we start off with is, is a horizontal viewing angle from the back of the auditorium at 36 degrees is our design recommendation. Then we allow for a tolerance in there, 26 degrees would be the minimum allowable horizontal viewing angle. And once you get above 45 degrees, you start having deteriorations in image quality and sound quality. So really what we consider is a 36 degree horizontal viewing angle is kind of the ideal ratio from that size of the room. So that only explains kind of the horizontal viewing angle as defined from the back of the room. Then you have to kind of look at what the viewing angles are going to be towards the front of the seating area. So there's kind of two factors involved there. One is that you don't want people sitting in the front of the room to have an image that's too large. And secondly, there's a comfort factor as well. You don't want people having to lean back and strain their neck looking up towards the top of the picture. So ideally, someone shouldn't have to shift their head plus or minus, say, 15 degrees towards the center of the image, and they really shouldn't have to look up more than 35 degrees towards the top of the image. Now, it changes a bit when we're dealing with with translation of content into the home because there's other factors involved. So we're really looking at an optimal viewing angle of around 40 degrees horizontally from a prime seating location albeit there's differences in what's being done in the cinemas, but there's, there's, there's good reasons for that. As an example, when you're dealing with film presentation, you have to start talking about you know, the human visual acuity system and our ability to perceive uh, contrast and, and lines of resolution. With film, you really get about 12 million grains if you want to equate that to, uh, to uh, resolution, whereas with, with uh, a video source, you're dealing with a, a fixed pixel device or a, a fixed resolution device. What you wind up with is if that image is too large, either in a motion picture application, you'll start seeing the grain on the image, or in the case of the home, you can start seeing uh, pixelization. Now, I just want to pick up on a, a couple of those points, Andrew. Um, uh, First of all, for the commercial cinema, is there a sweet spot within each theatre to sit in, or should uh, a, a patron going into the cinema be able to sit anywhere and still get the same impact, whether it be a, a flat 185-to-1 image or a, or a scope image? Well, kind of as a design philosophy uh, for THX, we want every seat to be a good seat. And sometimes what that means is something as simple as that the viewing angle to the screen is going to be unobstructed by either the patron sitting in front of you or by any architectural constraints in the room. Now, what you wind up with is, say, in a post-production environment, either the sound mixers or the people who are doing critical image evaluation wind up sitting around two-thirds of the way back in the room, kind of along the geometric center of uh, the left and right. That kind of corresponds to a seating area that's about the center of the seating area in a typical commercial cinema. Now, albeit again, that if, if you're sitting a few rows in front of that, a few rows behind that, a few seats to the left or right, you really shouldn't experience any difference whatsoever. 
the nice thing about going to the cinema is you have complete choice of where you want to sit, particularly if you're early enough. And I think if you look at people, you'll find that if you're by yourself and you could pick any seat where you wanted to in the room, people kind of most naturally gravitate to the center of the seating area, which is going to have that strong correlation with where the seating location is in a professional studio. However, if you were sitting in the back of the room, you would still have a good viewing angle of the screen when we talk about horizontal viewing angles. Again, part and partially is, is to take into consideration people who are sitting in the extreme back or if you're sitting in the front, you're still going to have a unobstructed view to the screen. You're not going to have issues with looking at visual degradations. And you're going to be within the coverage pattern of the loudspeakers as well, so you're going to still get that multi-channel audio experience that's really immersive. Now, some of our members like to argue the fact that um, if it's a 185 to 1 presentation that they're going to see, they like to sit further towards the front of the, the theatre, and if it's a scope image, they like to sit further to, to the rear. Is there actually such a, a large difference between the seating distances and the different types of aspect ratios? Well, no, ideally, the answer is no. Uh, and the reason being is, again, I'll, I'll fall back to the, the concept of what's being done in the production facility versus the cinema. And typically what you wind up with is having a variable width and I think the barometer that you have to take into consideration is the screen height. So if your seating location is about one screen height back in a, in a commercial cinema, uh, it should be just fine, and then you'll have that wider scope image, which could be a bit more immersive, uh, of course, for personal taste. Now, again, if we, if we talk about the uh, image size in a home, you probably wind up sitting a little uh, further back, and it's kind of a different way of looking at it. Whereas in the cinema, you probably want to be about a screen height back. But in a home environment, what you could do is actually just kind of take the diagonal, the screen size, and, and go about uh, 0.85 distance back, 0 0.84, 0 0.85 distance back to kind of get that same quality experience. Now, one of the other arguments which keeps coming up on, on our forums on a regular basis concerns constant height projection. Uh, there's lots of uh, other techniques being used in the home, such as constant area or constant width. When it comes to the cinema, um, should it be a case of being a constant height setup and are all screens capable of showing uh, a 235 to 1 image? Yes, the, all the screens are capable of generally showing, and in and, and cinema the aspect ratios are actually a little bit different. Don't mind me uh, digressing here a little bit, but what you wind up with is having the flat aspect ratio, which is 185 to 1, and in cinema the scope aspect ratio is 2.39 to 1, which is a little different because typically as content's mastered for the home, they'll scale the image a little bit, so it's 235 to 1. But to get back to my initial point, um, I, I think you have to kind of take a look at what the intent of the filmmaker is. And what you wind up with, again, in the production facility is that the flat image or the 185 to 1 image is a fixed height configuration, and the scope image is a wider image, which does give you a larger perspective or field of view. And I think that's kind of a, a creative decision that's made during um, the production process for a motion picture. And I, I think that if a cinema wants to build an environment that's very similar to that, they'll take that approach of that fixed height variable width image area. Now, there's also, as you brought up in your question, the concerns about, you know, constant area or maybe a fixed width application. Those have their places, and I think that has more to do with what the room geometry is for that auditorium during the 90s, it was pretty much a, a radical departure in cinema design where you moved away from sloped floor auditoriums to stadium seating, and that kind of resulted in a design change where the height in the auditorium was a bit higher. So it does allow for changes in screen design that would give people a, a taller 185 to 1 image than you would have in the case of a uh, fixed height aspect ratio. Now, there's technical considerations that the exhibitor has to consider as well, and that's kind of limitations in terms of screen illumination that with motion picture film, it's easy to 
maintain constant screen brightness or screen luminance with fixed width masking, when you go to formats like constant area or, or, or fixed height versus fixed width, is that you have to take into consideration the screen brightness and then other factors as well with respect to loudspeaker placement and so that the sound quality works with different formats. Now, there's no, there's no uh, technical information available on the Internet. Believe me, myself and quite a few of our members have, have Googled around to try and find this out. Is it true that, that most commercial cinemas in the U.S. actually have a, a 210 to 1 aspect ratio rather than the, the 240 to 1? No, that hasn't been the, the case. There's a few things that we've done. In a THX-certified cinema, you have to preserve the, the native aspect ratios. And so you will wind up with a flat image that has a ratio of 185 to 1 and a scope image that has a ratio of 2.39 to 1. The other thing that THX has done throughout its history is we had a program called the Theater Alignment Program where we had teams of engineers who would go out and evaluate cinemas throughout the country for the studios to make sure the presentation quality was up to industry specifications. And throughout this process, we were able to obtain a lot of data about THX certified theaters and non-THX certified theaters. And in most cases, what you wind up with is most commercial cinemas do preserve the native aspect ratio and generally don't change that. There might be a small amount of variation in the sense that because of an architectural constraint, maybe they're cropping a couple percent of the image on the sides. But in most cases, you do see cinemas that do preserve that native aspect ratio. So just uh, winding up on the commercial cinema side, um, is a THX certified cinema, um, is it a constant height cinema or or does your standards actually allow uh, a smaller auditorium to use constant width or constant area? Uh, we actually allow for all three configurations. I would say in the last few years, it's almost been 50-50 in terms of the number of cinemas that do constant height versus constant width, and a very small percentage of cinemas that do constant area. Again, what we're looking at is a combination of issues with respect to what the, the horizontal viewing angle is going to be, what the vertical viewing angles are going to be, how that works with the auditorium geometry and how that influences the sound quality as well as the picture quality in terms of loudspeaker placement. And I'll give you an example. One of the issues that you can have with constant area is because you're changing the image size on the width and the height, you want to make sure that if masking is used in the cinema, that the masking doesn't cover the loudspeakers and attenuate the high-frequency response. So it, it does take different design parameters to make that work so the loudspeaker placement is appropriate for both images and that you maintain a good level of sound and picture congruency. And finally, uh, on the cinema side of things, um, obviously when you add bits of glass into the light path, uh, you are going to bring distortion to the images. So uh, what do you do to take care of uh, anamorphic lenses which are used uh, for scope uh, projection? There's been a a few interesting developments over the last couple decades, and one of them is because of the kind of the the development of computer modeling that the lens manufacturers are using, over the last 20 years, there's been an appreciable improvement in the quality of lenses that are used for motion pictures. When we're certifying a theater and doing critical image evaluation, one of the things that we have to look at is the effect of the optical system. And when we mean the optical system, it's two things. It's one, it's the projector optics, and you have to also take into consideration as well as the effect of the glass that's used in the port window that separates the projection booth from the auditorium. So we look at things like resolution in terms of on film, it's defined by the highest number of visible line pairs you can see, and with specific test films that we use, you can start to see some optical distortions such as chromatic aberration. And in those cases, if you observe optical distortions, we actually have to go down the path of dealing with the manufacturer to make sure that the lensing that's used for that cinema is uh, repaired or fixed to make sure that you don't have a piece of glass within that housing 
that's uh, adjusted it. And then as well, because you can get light reflections from the port glass back into the optical system, we have to deal with the quality of glass that's used in the port windows. Typically what we wind up using is uh, optically coated glass that has around a 97 to 98% transmission index for the visible light spectrum to make sure that's not going to interfere with the optics. Now moving from commercial cinema to the home cinema, how do THX's standards uh, move over to the home? Do you keep a lot of these standards the same? Yes and no. There's a few interesting aspects that I want to kind of point out. You know, initially when we talk about the beginning of, of THX, the, the intent was to preserve the quality of content as it went from the studio to the cinema. And then as we started the THX home theater program in the late 80s, we had to deal with developing technologies that made translation from the cinema to the home more transparent, if you will. As technologies developed for the home, particularly with uh, the development of higher definition content and resolution changes, there's that, con- there's that goal of preserving the content, make sure it's played back in the home correctly, but also on the audio side as well. So we made a conscientious decision to actually reduce the image size in the home from what you get in a commercial cinema so you preserve a high level of image quality. And then again, you have to take into consideration the system as a whole. So where do you place loudspeakers around those images so you maintain that, that, that picture and sound congruency? So as I said before, what you wind up with in a commercial cinema is maybe a horizontal viewing angle at the back of the room around 36 degrees. So someone sitting in the geometric center of the seating area would have a viewing angle of around 50 degrees horizontally. In the home, we're actually going for a 40-degree horizontal viewing angle from the primary viewing position. And again, this boils down back to the resolution of the content in our human visual acuity system in that you want to keep the image large enough so that you have a big and immersive image but small enough where you're not able to visualize individual pixels and see some of the effects of that, such as jaggies on curved lines or things along those lines. So the primary goal of preserving content from the studio to the home is exactly the same as we have it in the cinema side when we want to preserve the content from the studio to the cinema. But we had to change the technical performance requirements so that that correlation... Uh, in terms of maintaining the highest level of image quality is is maintained. Now, THX have uh, the technicians program, uh, certainly in the US. I think there's there's maybe a handful of people in the UK who are certified. Um, When they make recommendations on a home uh, theatre build, does this include um, a projection system of note? Would they go with constant height, constant area, constant width, or would they go with what the client is looking for? Well, we have our educational programs that we've done for a long time at THX. Um, It's actually one of the the, the core uh, goals of the company is is constant education for people out in the field, particularly dealers and integrators who are installing equipment and recommending equipment to homeowners. During the course of these educational programs, we actually spend a lot of effort talking about image quality considerations and how to, appropriate, how to appropriately select the right display for a given room. Typically, in the case of HD content, if the room was appropriate, we would recommend that those dealers specify from projection systems. And in those cases, they generally will specify a fixed-width image. So you maintain that 40-degree viewing angle from the primary viewing position, and then for scope content or 235 to 1 or 2.4 to 1, however it's mastered, uh, variable height. That does two things. It does preserve the clarity of the image because you're not changing the pixel size as well. And it also solves the challenge in terms of normalizing light levels between different aspect ratios. Now, I would say this is kind of different in that If someone wanted to use an anamorphic lens in the home, 
you do have the benefit of being able to use the entire raster on the imaging device for that scope picture. So you will have a better balance of light levels between uh, the, the 16 by 9 and the uh, 235 to 1 content. However, what you have to be cognizant of is you haven't changed the resolution of the image in the horizontal plane. And if you were to increase the width of the image that you may run into that situation where the pixels do become visible. Conversely, if someone were to use a zoom lens and not change the image and the processing side of things, you have that same effect as well. And you have to remember that in terms of the, the vertical resolution, you have a reduction of around 25% of the usable vertical resolution when you go from 16 by 9 to 235 to 1. That would correspond to about a 25% reduction in light output from the projector. If you were to then increase the width of the image by you know, 20%, you actually wind up with a very appreciable reduction in light levels. And that's not necessarily something we consider an ideal situation. So, Andrew, what you're saying to me is that, um, or if I've picked you up correctly, is that a constant height setup using an anamorphic lens is not ideal? I, I think that a, a constant height setup using an anamorphic lens is probably not ideal for the average punter, but it does need to be just well-designed and engineered, and that's something that we can certainly help uh, an integrator with. The other thing that we've recently launched is uh, a, a you know, as, as I said before, in terms of our training program, we started a calibration program for uh, people who are setting up displays and video calibration. These are some of more of the kind of finite, deal, finite details that we discussed during that calibration course. So certainly, we would teach people what some of the compromises are with using a fixed height variable width in a home application. One of the things that we try to accomplish during the THX video training program is to give the attendees an opportunity to evaluate all different types of technologies, whether we're talking about DLP or, or uh, LCOS derivative uh, front projector display devices versus LCD or plasma uh, front view devices, and go through the unique calibration requirements that are needed for each one of these different type of technologies. And then there's the fundamental aspect of teaching people the relevant specifications in terms of color accuracy and how to set brightness and contrast and the color gamut of a display so that you're properly playing back on the content. I think that what some of the other training programs attempt to do is to teach some of the fundamentals, but I think a, a big differentiation that we do is to have a very hands-on session. The other thing as well is at the completion of the seminar, we require that attendees go out and do 10 field calibrations and send back that data to THX for us to evaluate to make sure that those individuals are capable of, of calibrating the systems properly, that they got the right knowledge base from the training seminar, and it's a way of making sure that the information that we disseminate throughout the course of the, the, the seminar is retained by the individuals and that they can come back if necessary and, and learn more to uh, develop their skill sets. Now, filmmakers, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming this, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that uh, they would like to see scope wider than a flat 185 to 1 image. So how do you uh, obtain that in the home? Can you only do that with the anamorphic constant height setup or are there other ways to achieve that? You know, I think it's, a, and it's an interesting issue to deal with because I think what happens with a lot of filmmakers when they're making content for commercial cinemas is they do expect that, that scope image to be really wide and impressive and immersive to the audience. They want to preserve the intent of that content when it goes to the home, but the feedback that we actually get from filmmakers is that they just want to make sure the content is played back the best possible way to the mass audience, if you will. With respect to using constant height and uh, variable width images in the home, there's really two reasonable approaches, which is to use the anamorphic lens and to scale the image in the processor so it's properly formatted when it's played back or to use a front projection system with a zoom lens. 
one of the difficulties that arises from that is if the video processor introduces artifacts when you're doing the anamorphic squeeze on the content prior to being projected, you could get visual aberrations and, and, and other items that would deteriorate the image quality. And again, like we were talking about before, with respect to zoom lenses, if you were just to expand that image, you have a deterioration in uh, output from the projector. So what winds up happening in the studios is as they're mastering content for, uh, for its release, whether that be on DVD or Blu-ray or some form of content preparation for download, what you really wind up seeing in the studio facilities is they do all their work on displays like plasma displays or LCD displays. A review room may have a front projection system, but I think a lot of that content is really reviewed on displays because that's the expectation for how a majority of the audience is going to view back that content. Okay, so I think um, to be fair to our users here, I want to... Um, try and nail you down a little bit if I can as to what you are saying is is the best way to see it in the home using a, a front projection system. Um, and what I've heard so far, I'm going to guess and say that you're going to go with a, a constant width setup against uh, constant area or constant height. Yeah, the, our position is is that we generally recommend that an image be constant width because it's much easier for the end user to maintain the highest level of picture quality between different aspect ratios of content. Uh, that certainly systems can be designed that use constant area or fixed height variable width, but the technical challenges are difficult to overcome. And so because of that, we would recommend a fixed width image. So I guess in, in wrapping up, Andrew, um, how closely do THX work with filmmakers in the creative process, or do you leave the creative side of things entirely up to them? Going back to kind of the THX goal of preserving content from the studio to the cinema application, the way we work with filmmakers is to help them develop facilities or environments or processes so that when they're creating the content, it can be viewed and heard without any deteriorations of the image quality. And then give them that reasonable expectation of translation to the theatrical release or the release to the general consumer via Blu-ray or other formats. Uh, we don't really get involved with the creative process that much. That That's a uh, that's a decision that, you know, we don't want to be involved in that aspect of the filmmaking process. We're a partner to filmmakers to make sure that their content is played back correctly. And, you know, it's to a certain extent the same way if you want to make an analogy to someone who's creating paints or canvases for artists, is you give them the tools so they can create the best art that's available and that could be viewed by as many people in the best way possible but you don't necessarily tell the artist how to paint the painting. And it's kind of the same way with, um, with the filmmakers. Now, the one thing that, you know, we do work on is that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of THX uh, professional facilities that are uh, throughout the world. You know, really the this, this set of standards that we developed were initially created for Lucasfilm, Skywalker Sound of the Development of Skywalker Ranch, uh, we work with a lot of other studios in the Hollywood system and throughout the world. We have other programs for content developers, whether it be uh, for a lot of uh, game developers on their production facilities, and that goes both in terms of audio production facilities and environments where they're doing critical picture evaluations. So we're really an enabling entity to help filmmakers make the best content possible. Now, obviously, we're, we're talking about standards here and we're talking about trying to, to keep things as close as possible um, all the way through the chain to the home. Um, do you work closely with other industry bodies? I mean, the, the, there are quite a few industry bodies out there who all um, have the, the specifications for the same area. Um, is it in your interests to to associate with these other associations and, and try and come to um, a set of standards which are industry-wide? Absolutely. In fact, we are heavily involved with organizations like SMPTE and the Audio Engineering Society, which is AES. 
Uh, and we participated on, on a lot of different levels. Uh, we have individuals within THX who participate in uh, the working groups who help draft standards for content or for display technologies. Uh, we have uh, people who work within the AES on technical committees, whether it be for uh, game audio production or motion picture audio production or even uh, other technical standards such as characterizing the behavior of a display or characterizing the behavior of a loudspeaker. Um, the one thing that's important for the THX program in that goal of translation is to make sure that content across the board is produced and played back on equipment that meets the highest quality level, but is also compliant with industry specifications. So I think what you wind up with is although we have a process in place to make sure equipment, facilities, and content all meet the highest quality standards, but they're all based off of practice industry specifications, whether they come from SEMTI or some other similar type of organization. And I guess that leads me on to the mass market, uh, Andrew. At AV forums, we always preach that, that people should follow the industry standards, that they should calibrate their displays properly or get a professional in to calibrate them. What's THX's view on the mass market and, and how can you further uh, develop education for, for the end users? Well, you know, we, we, we start off on having educational programs, like I said, for for people who are dealers and equipment installers. And then we also try to develop uh, other means of education, whether they be through uh, uh, events like this, uh, other press campaigns, information on the uh, THX website that could be used to educate the uh, user. Um, and then we also develop certain tools that go out to clients. As an example, we have a process where we try to put out a lot of demo DVDs. And on those demo DVDs, we have tools for end users to do calibration of their equipment. As an example, one of them is what we call the THX Optimizer, which is a series of test patterns that makes it very easy for the end user to quickly calibrate their monitor or to double check uh, their setup on their multi-channel audio systems. I think that what's important with regards to standards is the interchangeability of content. You know, and again, I, I keep going back to our main goal, which is really kind of translation of content across the board, is that if you're at home viewing content, you want to know that what you're seeing and what you're hearing is the same thing that was seen and heard in the production side of the things. And that goes in a lot of different ways with respect to monitors, whether it be for how brightness and contrast is set up so you have that same sense of dynamic range that the filmmakers had or color saturation. So, you know, the Apple has that correct hue of red that it's not oversaturated and looks unnatural. Now, is there anything that a body like THX can do um, working with manufacturers to make things easier for the end user. Um, a lot of end users, they'll set the TV or display up to what looks good to them, which obviously is not going to be accurate to, to the standards that have been used in that production. So is there something that THX can do with manufacturers so there is a mode on the TV which, when they press the button, it's going to get them as close as humanly possible, giving all the potential problems of... of uh, you know, a 10% 10% difference in components and so on. But is there something that you can put into a, a product which is going to get them as close as possible? Right. Well, you know, one of the things that we've done in the home theater program is we recently developed uh, a certification program for displays, and we work with manufacturers like Panasonic, like LG, with projector manufacturers like JVC and Runco and Vitacron. And one of the features in those devices is a THX movie mode or THX game mode. And what that does is that gives the user the ability to go to the THX mode and that display is going to be properly set up to coincide with the requirements that are done in the, in the studio. So the white point is going to be right at D65. The color gamut is going to follow the Rec. 709 color space. You'll wind up having a 2.2 gamma curve on it, and it's going to have the right 
brightness and contrast. Now, the end user could go in and, and do other adjustments to it. You know, it's interesting, the JVC projector is one of the first projectors that's available in the UK market, and it's actually shipping this month. But if you just to set that up and go to the THX movie mode, there really isn't a lot of additional calibration you need to do behind it. It's going to be right at that D65 color point. You're going to have all those parameters that are easily set up. And, you know, one of the challenges with a lot of equipment is manufacturers have vivid modes and, and show flow modes, so those displays look really good under the neon lights and the big mass market uh, consumer electronics stores. And one of the things that we felt was necessary was ease of use for the consumer. So this, this, this THX movie mode is going to get that person right to the same point. The game mode is also very similar as well in that a lot of processors have video processing that can create latencies in the image. But what you don't want to do is to have a real-time event such as gaming have a latency in it so your action is delayed when you see it on screen. So we preserve the important aspects of the projector or the display's functionality to make sure that the color is accurate, you still have the correct white point, but it might turn off some of these background video processing functions that add the latencies to the projector. So it is an important goal for us to have that ability to get right to a calibrated point. Well, Andrew, we could probably go on all day talking about this subject. It is fascinating. And uh, all I have to do is it's thank you very much for joining us on the AV Forums podcast. Hopefully in the future, uh, we may be able to come back to you and, and talk a little bit more about the sound next time. Certainly. Appreciate you having us on today. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie. Thanks. This is the AV Podcast. So, Neil and Graham, uh, we've heard what Andrew has to say at THX there. Um, anything which he said which which you want to, to bring up and discuss further? I think it was very interesting, Phil, what Andrew was saying uh, about constant image width in the home. Um, I think we have to, to clarify that probably we would all agree that constant image width is for 90% of people the easiest and probably the correct way for them to view a projection system. However, I think we'd all probably agree that there is that 10% um, who would look for something a little bit more, be that constant image area or constant image width um, that requires either the use of an anamorphic lens or motorized zoom and focus. Um, basically things that can be distilled down to rather more skill or enthusiasm to use day-to-day than a normal 16 by 9 uh, fixed frame system. And Graham, uh, I, I guess there's no way that we can argue against that other than putting the case for for maybe enthusiasts to take a more proactive approach to what they do in the home. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. Uh, there, there is a choice, and if people want to go that little bit extra... Um, yeah, it's not easy. Um, it's not as cheap, but uh, you know, like um, JFK said, um, you know, about putting men on the moon. You don't do it because it's easy. You do it because it's harder, but it gives you a much more immersive experience. You know, it's a case of um, installers feeling proud of what they've done, and the client getting something that the guy next door hasn't got. And, uh, you know, when you hear stories coming out of um, Asia and uh, Eastern Asia in particular, like in Thailand and places like this, um, they're saying almost 80% of all systems are constant high anamorphic. I don't know how true that is or not, but it's certainly, um, you know, something to take into account. If you want something that little bit special, um, come to people that know how to do that and they might be surprised at how affordable it becomes. Now, Neil, um, I guess the, the other angle that we could uh, discuss here is the fact that manufacturers in the mainstream are certainly starting to follow the anamorphic projection side of things. I mean, every projector that I've had through um, since the middle of the year and the projectors that I've got at the moment, all of them have the anamorphic stretch mode nowadays. And even some of them, like the PTA3000 from Panasonic, has a, a, a zoom feature. So obviously the manufacturers are listening to to, to what's going on so it's certainly becoming more widespread it's becoming more widespread Phil and the reason it's becoming more widespread is that it simply is an amazing differentiator between projection and a fixed pixel uh, TV um, I haven't seen yet a, an anamorphic 
front for a, a Pioneer panel being released for the market. Um, <laughs> and uh, let, let, let's hope that no one ever comes out with that particular <laughs> accessory. Um, what you can do with a projection system is, is install an incredibly flexible, attractive, stunning and immersive image. Um, the projector managers all recognize that the cost of projection has come down remarkably um, for what you can get now for a couple of thousand pounds compared to what you could get even two years ago is, is just incredible. Um, and everyone is looking for something better that they can offer to differentiate their product. Um, and I, for one, I'm absolutely delighted uh, that we have these anamorphic modes built into the projectors because it encourages more and more people to ask the question, well, what is this anamorphic thing? Is it right for me? And if they do decide it's right for them, how do they go about doing it? Um, f for me, obviously, I have my opinion on, on what the best way of doing it is. Um, but for anyone to have an experience of, of the, the image size changing on the screen, um, regardless of how it's done, is absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'm all for it. And thank you to the projector manufacturers for doing it. And Neil, I guess what we have to bring up here, just to be fair, is is the technical uh, side of things. Now, there's lots of talk about losing image brightness, losing resolution in the image, and so on. With with any of these uh, approaches, whether it's uh, constant area or constant height, so um, what's your advice to people to get the technical side right so they're getting the absolute best? Well, of course. I mean, my my advice would be to people. If they're going with an anamorphic lens install, uh, really choose a dealer who will work with them to install the lens properly. Um, it, it's such a shame to, to invest in an anamorphic lens and then not get it set up properly. Um, as Graham and I both know full well, the, the merest touch of the lens can make an incredible difference to the focus and so on. And it's criminal to, to miss out on that potential uh, with the money that people have to invest to get a good anamorphic lens. Um, and it's also important to realize uh, that if people are thinking of using the zoom method, it's certainly not as simple as just slapping the projector down um, and hoping for the best. You really need to make sure that you have chosen uh, a projector where the zoom range available will allow you to go between the different anamorphic modes that you want to go between. Um, and in fact, that's not quite as easy as it seems. So, Graham, what would, what would your advice be to, to people in, in those circumstances then when they're looking at their products and trying to figure out what's going to work for them? Not all dealers are fully aware of the implications of these systems yet. Um, we're doing our best with the event we had at JVC and several others um, to uh, show people what can be achieved and how to achieve it. And uh, a lot of people sit up and pay attention but um, to the average consumer, um, some dealerships, no names, um, might not even want to go there because they consider it just beyond their knowledge. Other dealers um, see it as an opportunity to give the customer something that they would really love, enjoy and be, can't fail to be impressed by. And the consumer needs to find these people and ask some cryptic questions with the help of the forums, no doubt, and uh, to point them in the right direction so they can actually get what they really, truly want. And nothing's worse than having someone that wants a system like that and having it poorly installed, because then that just reflects badly on the whole system. And the system deserves you know, to do very well. I personally have a constant area system, and I hate it. <laughs> If I um, I'll keep staring at my ceiling, thinking, "Yep, yeah, I can put those couple of joists a bit further apart and get myself a nice two thirty-five to one screen." And uh, you know, um, even the rest of the family, you know, are already saying, "Well, it's a much more immersive experience. We like the wider angle of view." And uh, you yeah, know, why not give it to them? Yeah, it's, it's once you've done it a few times, um, the dealers will realise that they're in a market that is largely untapped in the UK and they do quite well out of it. Before we uh, wrap up on this subject, the, the, there is this, this thing that keeps coming back um, all the time, especially when we're discussing these things on the forums, 
And that is that people just start saying, well, you're discriminating against 185 to 1 flat images because um, 235 is bigger on your screen. Now, to me, is, is that not the point? I, I don't know if it's the point, Phil, but uh, as we discussed in that thread in quite some detail, for me, it's not a point that I personally can understand because I size the image um, so that for uh, 16 by 9, it fills my vision. Um, 1.85 is slightly wider um, and 2.35 is a lot wider. I, I don't set the systems up so that I can't see edges and uh, you know any craziness like that. But I never feel personally in the systems that I've set up, which is quite a lot now, um, that when I've been viewing... 16 by 9 or 1.85 that it's inferior in its immersiveness or that I've missed out on any of the, the, the director's intent. I do know that it's just simply a lot cooler when I see 2.35 um, and the screen swoops open and the image gets even wider. And I guess, Graham, we are assuming a little bit here, but uh, with the way the whole systems like CinemaScope have been designed, that is the point, isn't it, that, that scope is wider? Yeah, it always has been, and um, long may that continue. Uh, it's just a point that is lost on quite a lot of people or people that have mm, other points of view and um, you know, will go against the grain to make their point. Um, at the end of the day, it's all about giving the person that sits there an immersive experience that they enjoy, and that's what we intend to give them. It's as simple as that. Okay, well, it's it's a fascinating subject. Um, obviously, our thanks go to THX for giving us the time uh, for their interview. We're going to move things on very swiftly when we come back after this short break and introduce you to a new member of our AV Forums community. Contact the AV Forums podcast. Email podcast at avforums.com. So that's just about all for uh, this month's Home Cinema Podcast. Uh, but before we go, we're going to introduce you to a new member of the AV Forums review team, uh, David McKenzie. Hi, David. Hey, how are you doing? So David joins the team from uh, DVD Times and HDTV Test. David, you've got some reviews coming out. Maybe you can tell us about uh, what you're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Yeah, well, uh, no, uh, I've just finished looking at this um, 32-inch Toshiba um, 1080p display, and um, right now I've got LG's uh, Scarlet in my desk. They're uh, 42-inch LCD. And we've got some uh, big exclusives coming. Maybe you can tell us about that. Uh, yeah, we've we've got the exclusive review of uh, Panasonic's VX100 uh, Professional Plasma Monitor coming up, which uh, we're looking forward to. Just for our listeners, that that machine's not available until January, so uh, quite a little bit of a scoop. So uh, you also did your ISF training last week, so uh, you've got the the ISF guys on uh, the podcast at the moment. So how did you find things, David? Great fun. No, um, uh, I mean, there's always going to be some stuff that I wasn't aware of before. So um, like I've said, it, it was great to fill in kind of gaps in the knowledge. And, you know, also just, just checking out the, the home cinema system JVC have done there made me pretty jealous as well. Good okay. fun all around. Okay, so uh, quiz time. Neil, fire away. First question. David, in Rec 709, is the gamma the same at the bottom as it is at the top? I could feel that certificate slipping away. <laughs> I'll say no. Correct. It is different at the bottom than it is at the top. You guys are, you guys are cruel. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I had to think about that for a minute. Yeah, I was, I was stumped. Okay, so... um. All of us here have gone through the ISF training. Um, three of us at the moment are qualified. David, hopefully, will pass his exam. So, David, what did you learn new? Uh, the biggest thing I was kicking myself over was about um, off-axis projection. And in my own setup, you know, I've got to confess, I've been using that, uh, that uh, vertical lens shift. Uh, but on the course, I learned that I was kicking myself when I, I found this out because it makes total sense. But I learned that if you do that, you're using the worst possible part of the lens, you know, and you're you're prone to vignetting, chromatic aberration, you know, loss of light, all that sort of thing. So yeah, as, as soon as I got off the off the plane, I uh, recalibrated my own setup. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, David, we're we're looking forward to your reviews and some other stuff that we have coming up. In the next few weeks, we've got JVC's HD350, currently on review, the PTA3000 from Panasonic, and we also have the Sony VW80. So they, those projectors are all coming up very soon. And, of course, keep your eye out for David's reviews and that exclusive for Panasonic. So thanks for joining us on this podcast, David, and hopefully we'll make it a, a, 
a regular thing. No worries. Thank you. So that wraps up November's Home Cinema Podcast. So all I have to do is thank Graham Goodburn. Thank you, Graham. Thank you once again, Phil. No problem at all. And thanks to Neil Davidson. Thank you, Neil. No problem, Phil. And don't forget to tune in next month. We'll be back again with another Home Cinema Podcast. And while you're at it, why not check out our Movies Podcast, which is up there now, and check out the latest videos on avforums.tv. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next month. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.